Hello and welcome to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. I'm your host, Roman Segal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Barbara Morgan, Global Business Director for Pharma and Nutra at Lubrizol. A PhD chemist by trade, Barbara has gone from working at the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard back in 2009 to now heading up the CDMO and Nutra division of Lubrizol, an incredible journey and trajectory in just 10 years. Along that way, she's led teams, worked in the VC and M&A space, and done a variety of very interesting roles in healthcare. And I have to say, she is definitely one of my favorite people that I've had the fortune of meeting in the CDMO space. Hey, Barb's, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm good. It's so nice to have you on. And uh, so just to start off for our listeners who have no idea who you are or might not have heard even of Lubrizol, do you mind telling them a little bit about you and kind of what you do and also a bit about the kind of role that you have? Sure, I'd love to. So I'll start with me and then that actually leads into Lubrizol. So for me, as you as you mentioned, PhD in organic chemistry, um, I like to say I'm still a scientist at heart. So even though I moved over to what uh, we lovingly call the dark side of uh, the business side of it all, um, I still can get so extremely excited about the science of, of what we do in the pharma and nutraceutical industry. So um, I worked as a scientist first. You know, I remember at the end of grad school knowing that I was ultimately going to end up on the business side. But when I was talking to the people at the Broad Institute and they were doing some of the most cutting edge science, I decided to nerd out for a couple more years and to really try and figure out like what that meant to be on the business side of pharma and also what I really wanted to do. So worked at the Broad Institute, um, talked to a ton of people on tri- trying to figure out how you make that transition from a scientist to, to um, on the business side. And they told me basically, hey, go get your MBA or get some experience. So we were in Boston at the time, um, uh, and I decided to get some experience. Um, at, at the time, you know, the drug industry intellectual property is everything. So I thought it would be a great step to join a law firm, learn more about IP, get some transactional experience. So join Goodwin Proctor. And I'll tell you some of the most important lessons that I learned were actually different from what I thought I was going to learn. I learned (laughs) what it meant to um, write really clear and articulate communications, um, uh, to be on the service side, what it means to be a service partner. Um, And I just also met wonderful, smart people. So we decided to move back uh, to Ohio. While I was at Goodwin Proctor, we worked with a lot of startups and venture capital companies. And I really thought that was a super interesting place and um, loved the variety of it and just all the excitement that happens on innovation. So joined a small venture fund in Ohio. The majority of the companies at that time were life science companies. So there were some medical device, there were some advanced materials, there were some pharma in there. Um, there were also some IT tech companies in there. So I learned a ton of stuff about the investment process. And I like, because it was a small firm, I did it all. <laughs> um, I, And then learned what it meant to start new businesses and what it meant to be acquired as a business. And um, it really actually led me to my next job, which was at Lubrizol. And that was doing um, M&A for Lubrizol and their life science group. 
So Lubrizol itself, large specialty chemical company, we actually just had our 90th anniversary. And for me, it's, um, it's such a... <laughs> I, it's such a little hidden gem in the middle of Ohio that everyone in the world should know, know, know about. So we're owned by Berkshire Hathaway. Um, we're actually their only specialty chemical company in their portfolio. And uh, we really have two dominant businesses. So what I like to say is you use us all day long and you have absolutely no idea. <laughs> so on, uh, we provide additives that go into engine oils, any types of transportation, um, and you've probably used us. I think there's a 50-50 shot that, that we're in your car right now. Um, and then the advanced materials business, which is the, the group I'm a part of. And so that has two divisions, industrial and life science. So on the life science side, once again, you probably use us all day long and you don't realize it. We, we provide polymers that are in um, your medical creams and lotions in your catheters. Hopefully you haven't had to have that um, in all of your beauty products. So in your cleansing products in your home when you do laundry. So we're really um, there to be an essential partner, whether it's on the personal care side or on the healthcare side. And so we've been on the healthcare side, actually really early on. And um, when I joined, they had made the decision to move downstream. So at first we were just providing polymers and we're really well known in the topical space. Some, um, some of our po polymers are used in the implantable space, um, in ophthalmic and oral solid dose. And customers were asking us more and more, can you help us with this formulation? Can you help us with the drug product development side of things? And so we made the decision on both the medical device side and the pharma side to move downstream. And in 2015, we, ac we acquired Particle Sciences, and that's our CDMO division of Lubrizol Life Science Health. And we're all focused on the complex drug product side and how we can help you get these complex drug products to market. So with that, hopefully I've, I've given you a little bit of story of myself and the evolution of myself, but then also the evolution of, of Lubrizol. I love it, Barbara. You've answered my first three questions all in one answer, oh, which is just I'm which glad. is just perfect. You're so you're so efficient, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I want to ask you. I mean, I really want to circle back to a couple of things. Firstly, I'm I'm really curious about your kind of M and A space mm -hmm. kind of um, experience, but also how did that how did that help you when it came to say the acquisition of, of particle sciences and the experience that you had of not only the not only the deal structure and that type of thing, but more around the cultural fit and how to then, you know, embed a business oh, wow. within a, a larger business. I'm just I, I see yeah, a lot of no, it in the sector yeah. and I'm just really curious to see, you know, how that experience on one side of the fence really helped you when it when it came to acquiring uh, the particle sciences business. Yeah, and I will tell you, I think Lubrizol is a little bit different here and it actually goes back to the character of the company. So Part of the reason that I've stayed here so long, and so for me, I've been here over six years, is because the company aligns with my core value. And so if you look at the 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 way we do things, number one is families first. So Lubrizol in itself, I've never seen a company that cares so much about its employees and not just says that, but actually lives it. Um, number, that. but number two does the right thing. So you know, as we've gone through this COVID crisis, our our CEO and all of our executive team has told us 
we are going to do absolutely everything we can to hold on to employees. So, it, you know, if if there was ever a doubt <laughs> that I'm at the right company, I uh, it, there's no question anymore. So they do the right thing. And like in last year, you know, we had had a fire at one of our manufacturing operations and the company swarmed in had a crisis team there was helping the community like was doing everything possible to try to help and it's one of those times where you know you hear all these bad stories about big corporations and I just feel so proud like I can't remember a time that I've ever felt more proud of working for someone so for that and I I, yeah, I can't say enough good things about them. Uh, but then the third thing that we do really well is to be respectful. And so for my kids, that's to be kind. But um, <laughs> uh, for for us at work, it's respectful of, of each other. And so I, you know, listen, no job's perfect, no company's perfect. But I do sometimes feel that I'm just really lucky. Yeah. And, and those value, that value set them when it came to, you know, oh, sorry. Yeah. Buying... Thank, thank you. I just got so excited. I totally <laughs> forgot about the question. I'm, yeah, I'm, so... I'm loving it. I'm loving how you're lyric girl about your employer. I hope, I hope my staff do that one day. <laughs> they will. Oh my gosh. Of course they will. Um, uh, no. So that's actually, that whole culture is super important to us when we acquire. So we won't acquire companies that don't match that culture. So for us on the particle sciences side, we looked at a ton of different CDMOs. And um, one of the things that really matched up with particle sciences and our own framework is both the culture, the integrity of the people, but also the scientific scientific depth. So Lubrizol is really well known for going deep into the science, understanding the formulations and applications. And that's actually the same reason people came to particle sciences is just the technical depth and helping you solve really complex um, problems and being a complete partner. So when we're out there for acquisitions, what I always tell people is like, listen, we buy to keep. So let's make sure, let's make sure that this is a good marriage. We don't buy to flip. We don't we don't buy for turnarounds like we buy to keep and to build value love that it's and it's such a different model isn't it from the kind of p i mean obviously in the the cdmo space in particular we see um huge kind of acquisitions at crazy values going on at the minute and and particularly interesting is the growth trajectory and then the flipping in you know five years or whatever and what you've experienced is is very different to that which is you know we're going to make you part of the lupazol family um you know for the for the long term certainly that's how that's how it seems externally anyway that that's the that seems to be the approach of the business yeah very much so i mean i don't know i don't know much of anything we've ever divested and if if we do it's it was almost like uh it was pre-planned so yeah yeah we yeah. buy to keep so your speed of you I looked at your career trajectory and I'm <laughs> fascinated by how you got to where you are in such, in my eyes, is a relatively short space of time. You, you have a very senior role in a, in a, glo- a global role in a, in a, in a, you know, such a well-respected organization. And what, what could you attribute that to? Has that been down to, you know, the 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 diversity of your learnings, your passion, you just, your, your, 
thirst for scientific knowledge what what would you say has kind of been that success formula for you to get to where you are in in your career yeah you know I think it's it's a couple of things so one let's always give a lady luck her due so there's always some (laughs) there's always some luck in that but um I think I also have always believed in my talent and I've taken some risks so I think that if there's a will, there's a way. And as long as you're prepared to pivot, um, you can usually get there. So I remember as I was, I was going, um, from the, I was going from a scientist to the law firm, to the VC firm. And, um, I learned a ton of things along the way, but I also like my salary went up and down and all of that. Right. So this was all about building skills to ultimately get to where I wanted to get. It's also, and I'll tell you, and everyone will tell you, I'm highly impatient. Um, and you've worked with me. I'll, I, I also push a lot. So um, I think it's a, I think it's a combination of all of those things, like really believing in myself and also being pretty resilient when certain things just didn't work. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think you see it in the startup world as well. Um, Like your first attempt at something is, is probably not going to work. And so you just have to keep going at it. Um, I like, honestly, I thought I was going to end up and stay in the venture world. And one of the things I really learned in all of, in all of that is I like being a part of building something like being in there, building it together instead of um, providing the capital to do that. So Barbara, if you could go back and give your 25 year old self <laughs> some advice, mm-hmm. what, what might you have given uh, or what, what could, would you say now to kind of give that 25 year old Barbara uh, a slightly different perspective? Yeah, sure. Um, so a couple of things. Um, so cultivate your support system. Right. And this is extremely important, I think, for everyone as they're developing their career, but especially important for women. Have mentors and sponsors and know the difference between the two. Mm -hmm. Right. So a mentor is those that you go for advice, talking through things, getting diverse perspectives, learning from maybe sometimes getting a pep talk. Um, a sponsor is someone that makes sure you're getting the right opportunities, advocates for you when you're not in the room, provides exposure, helps you get considered for pivotal roles. Sometimes they can be the same person. A lot of times they're not. Yeah. And don't be scared for those people to be very different from you and honestly, very different from each other. So that would be the first one. Cultivate your support system. I love that. I ask great advice. And do you, just out of curiosity, do you have... You don't have to mention them <laughs> specifically, yeah, but yeah. is there is there a couple of go to mentors that that you've had in your careers that oh my gosh you yes. always always for circle sure. back to? I mean, yeah. I, I always did, and I I'm incredibly grateful for their advice and uh, you know support along. And, and I love what you said there about the pep talk. I mean, sometimes you just need to kick up the backside of someone to tell you that you're being ridiculous. <laughs> sure. And I love yeah. I love that. And is that is there a couple that you have that you, you kind of always circle yeah. back to? For sure. And you want to know what? I have two groups of them. So I have my mentors inside my company and then I have my mentors or just my crew of uh, women that I go to where I'm like, guys, I'm dealing with this. Like, can you give me some perspective? 
Um, so uh, like within the company, I have two people who couldn't be more different from each other. So one, uh, one of the guys has been pretty consistent um, for me and I won't say his name though. <laughs> he, he's a financial guy. So I, I doubt he's, he's listening to pharmacy DMO um, podcasts though. I mean, come on, we are incredibly interesting. Uh, uh, <laughs> He's, he's my person that I go to when I'm processing ideas and, uh, you know, he's, uh, pretty much your no person. So he's, um, he'll, he'll always be a little bit critical of stuff or just a very logical, pragmatic perspective where sometimes, as you can tell, I have a ton of passion. I get super excited and he's like, Right. Yeah, Barbara, that's great. But have you thought about this? And so he's a really good pragmatist for me to bounce my passion off of. And I always right. know that my idea is super good once I can get it through through him. The other person that is a go-to for me is actually she's a HR leader. And she's been extremely important for me as I've been skyrocketed through the leadership route. So, you know, I went pretty fast from managing, you know, having three direct reports to being over a group of over 150. And so (laughs) when you go through a really fast path on that, um, you know, there's just some skills that you need to learn. Uh, And so one of the things that I've learned in all of this is that for one, as you move up in leadership, your uh, words and the things you say are analyzed more than I ever thought possible. And oh then God, I, I could not agree with that. I mean, I, I, I have learned that the hard way. Believe oh, me. oh, me too. Me too, my <laughs> extroverted friend. Me too. Um, and then also uh, intent versus impact can be really far apart. So I use her always to say, hey, Laura, this was my intent here. Do you think that's the impact that I had? So that's been really helpful for me. And I really trust her. And she's um, she's she'll give me some uh not criticism, but she'll give me something really to think about. And then, uh, but she also will be really quick to tell me you did a really great job there. So I, she's a really good balance for me. Oh, that's great. I love the I love the balance of the two. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector, the podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. And you you mentioned a really interesting point around kind of having a kind of female based kind of group of mentors outside of of work. And I'm keen to just talk about um, diversity in the sector and, you know, certainly just even interviewing some of the podcasts that I've been, the the guests that I've been speaking to, there are certainly more and more, um, it might just be my network, obviously, but (laughs) senior female people in the pharmaceutical sector, which I think is fantastic um, Mm -hmm, to see. mm -hmm. So I don't know if if you're happy to talk a little bit more about, I suppose, what any advice that you've got for kind of younger females that are growing careers in the sector or trends that you're seeing or or just anything around that topic would be really interesting for for some of our listeners. Yeah. And I'll separate the two. And so when I don't 
remember the second part that I want to talk about, bring me back to it. (laughs) (laughs) I will do. My group of women outside of Lubrizol, it's funny, we actually um, came together. We were going to form this group around high potential women. We called it HIPOWO. They might kill me for telling this story, so I won't. (laughs) But um, we had all these grand ideas. And then at the end of the day, it was like, wow, that's a ton of work. We have jobs that require like 80 plus hours a week from us. When are we going to get this done? And so it's kind of condensed down to the four of us um, where we just get together all the time. Um, One of them runs a venture fund. One's a a partner at McKinsey and another runs a startup. Um, And so they're just, there's such a diversity of what each of them do. And I also just like really enjoy them. Um, and they're just incredibly smart and fun. And like, we all now go on vacation together. And so it really does take a village on these things, but they're also people I can go to when I'm grappling with certain things. And, um, so that's been really great. And it's great to see, you know, women out there that are really breaking what we'll call the, the glass ceiling out there. And so I'm incredibly proud to, to call them my friends, but, to diversity and inclusion itself, you, you know, for me, it's, if you go back and like, I am a scientist, right? So let's go back to the data, diverse teams lead to better outcomes. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, to not do it would just kind of be silly, right? Yeah. And if I look for the the top three things around that, it's really, okay, unconscious bias is real and it's bias, not prejudice. When you're doing diversity and inclusion right, it's probably a little uncomfortable, right? When you're managing people that are totally different from you, it's going to maybe take some more time and effort for you to manage them. But they're some of your most important people because they have strengths different from yours. You should use them. Don't fight it, right? Make them feel included and respected. They're going to give you something that you're not going to get from others. And then lastly, the data just, as I said before, speaks for itself. And it's literally on every measure. It's innovation, it's employee engagement, and financial results. So why, I guess the better question is why not do it? No, I love so, it. It's a great, um, great soundbite that to, to kind of inspire. And I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I mean, I, I manage a very diverse but you know, bunch of people within our business and I'm a better person for it. The company is stronger for it. What we produce is better for it. And, you know, celebrating that diversity is uh, is very important to, to us. And I completely agree with with your kind of views there. And, and, and I just wanted to circle back. I've got a, this is a question that all my guests hate, but I'm going to link it back to uh, your, so your, your friends, you mentioned the, the, um, the hyper potential group of women, the, the three, mm-hmm. the three ladies by yourself. So if they had to describe you and collectively agree <laughs> on three words, and say, three like, words. we're going to describe Barbara in three words, how mm-hmm. would they describe you? Okay. Um, candid. Mm-hmm. Um, smart. And creative. Love it. Very good. <laughs> You can you you can ask them. That feels so like self promotional. (laughs) (laughs) Can we not have any more of those questions, please? (laughs) 
I could give you the one, but I could ask you about what your weaknesses are as well. And you know, Oh my God. And I could tell you all about them. I'm a perfectionist right. and I'm impatient. <laughs> so on, the, on that point then, I, I do want to ask. So I, I look at people like yourself that have a very um, successful careers in, in a relatively short space of time. And, and many people have looked at me and, and said similar things like, oh my God, like how have you done that so quickly? And, mm-hmm. and, and without necessarily thinking about what's, you know, you know, what goes on behind the camera and what you have to work on. And there mm-hmm. are things that I constantly work on again and again, and I really, really fail at it, but I'm still going to work on it. And is yeah. there anything, is there anything you mentioned to impatience there? Is there anything that oh, you find that you have to work on sure. constantly? For sure. Yeah. I have to, I, well, I have to work on patience constantly and I do and it, but that also ties in with perfectionists. Yeah. perfectionism. So I have to work on those two constantly. And, you know, I, I have this thing that I say to the team, be good, not perfect. And I really struggle with it. Um, and I think part of it is because perfectionism feeds on itself. So you uh, like work on something until it's really great. And then you get all this positive feedback on it. And then you're like, Oh, that was totally worth it. Like, but a lot of times it's just not. And it also in, in that pursuit, like the good enough is oftentimes better because in the good enough, a lot of times you're letting other people show it in their way. And so Mm -hmm. it goes back to diverse perspectives. I like, I do some things to help me get around my perfectionism. So um, anyone who's ever worked with me, I talk about uh, triangulation. Um, so I'll take through uh, the the logic of what's being presented to me. And I'll always ask from like a couple of data sources to try and be like, okay, does that make sense? And then we'll deal with the cosmetic later. So like, I want to, I want to understand what you're presenting to help people make decisions and to help people take them on whatever journey you're trying to take them on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but I, I also really love pretty slides. <laughs> so I, you know, it's, it's a little bit of, uh, fighting that kind of stuff. And I will tell you, this is actually the perfectionism thing is really important with women. There's this study out there about how women don't go after jobs until they feel they're, they have a hundred percent of the qualifications and men apply at 60%. And it, it's really, you guys, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have a hundred percent. If you want something, go after it. Mm. Um, and I think that's really important in thinking about how you recruit women too, and how you promote them because, you know, women, um, and uh, listen, like, I don't want to say generally women, right? Mm-hmm. So like, I'm part of that 60% and I don't even know why I am that way, but I think it's because of my impatience. But um, I'm probably part of that 60% that just goes after things or part of the group that just goes after things with the 60%. But um, the studies show that doesn't necessarily hold true with the majority of women. It's a super interesting point and not anything I've ever really thought about us or, or come across, but it kind of does make it does make a lot of sense. And uh, yeah, I mean, thankfully, I operate at 60% most of the time. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that is not true because I've seen your work products, sir. <laughs> All right. So I'm just going to shift gears and talk a little bit about, um, I wanted to talk about the CDMO space and, sure. and the sector generally, but prior to that, I was really, 
I'm really interested in, you've obviously acquired in your role at Lubrizol, you've acquired the nutraceuticals division as well as the kind of pharmaceutical part of the business as well. And I'm, I'm curious to know, not the difference in terms of tell me what they both do, but actually what similarities and differences you see between the nutra kind of part of the business and the pharma part of the business, both yeah. in terms of the markets, um, the offering and just, yeah, just mm-hmm. two, two seemingly very different sectors but I imagine there must be some similarities between the oh two. Oh my god yeah right if those two sectors would talk more <laughs> um <laughs> because now that I get to see them um from both sides of the fence I guess part of it where I've started to really realize it's all about delivery of actives you know on the pharma side it's about treating a disease on the nutra side it's about preventing disease but that small molecule or inorganic substance that doesn't know what it's there for to do in your body. So, um, you know, there it's there to, to do a job. And so there's so many similarities when you look at improving bioavailability, uh, preventing adverse effects, permeability, all those different things. It's all about delivery of actives for a therapeutic benefit. So mm-hmm. honestly, as I've gotten more and more into it, I'm like, oh, okay. So I know we all think we're so different. We're doing exactly the same thing. And what's ironic is the same technologies used there. They do tons of spray drying, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, use fluidized beds. They're making tablets and capsules. So um, the problems are largely the same. They're just, they're, the markets are different. They're regulated different. Um, but there's so many similarities and that's something that we're looking to take advantage of to tell you the truth. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I, it's some of the things that you mentioned there, it's, uh, it's fascinating to see the kind of similarities between, between the sectors. And then I just wanted to focus at, you know, the last kind of five minutes or so that I've got of your time and talk about, the kind of CDMO space generally in the contract service space. And at the time of recording, obviously, we're going through the coronavirus um, kind of crisis across the world. And um, just obviously just what you're seeing in the sector and, you know, what, what yeah, trends sure. and shifts you're seeing, if you, if you mind talking about that. No, I'd, I'd love to. So, you know, if you look at the sector, there's some trends that are coming out in there. So the rise of insoluble actives, I, you know, I see stats around the place. It's anywhere from 70 to 90% of the things that are in the pipeline right now are insoluble. So, you know, there takes a fair amount of drug delivery work there to improve bioavailability. Uh, the rise of biologics and, and sterile products just in general, and then precision medicine. And so, this has actually really influenced our strategy. As I mentioned earlier, we're all about complex drug products. And what's interesting is the FDA's actually defined this, and we have a blog posting on it, but it really revolves around three conversations. So improving bioavailability, sterile products and aseptic manufacturing, and then long-acting drugs. So mm-hmm. it, it really revolves around those same conversations over and over again. And so this is what we're focused on. It's it's those three areas. Very good. And are you able to share kind of exciting things going on at the minute or, or, or anything that's on the horizon for um, the, the kind of pharma division that, that you head up? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we, as I mentioned early on, on like our focus areas and how we've honed into these areas and, and, um, and we do really get how difficult 
it is to tackle these complex areas. One of the things that we've started doing is doing feasibility programs. So we have it in the nanoparticle space. So that's all about improving bioavailability because you increase surface area. We have it in the microsphere space. And Mm -hmm. we have seen huge interest in this space because the the ability to do long-acting drugs is something that's desired both from a life cycle management point of view, but also from a patient compliance point of view. Um, So we've been trying to whet people's appetite a little bit on those, on helping them like first, like, let's even see if this is applicable for your API. But, you know, last year we did a couple of phase twos on long acting drugs. We're doing more this year. We've done a ton in ophthalmic. Um, And it's just really been amazing to see how our partnership philosophy has really um, harnessed just such successful relationships with our with our customers, but I call them our partners. You know, they feel that they're really a part of it all. We're an extension of their R&D teams and of their manufacturing teams. And and it's just also, you know, from, as I mentioned, I'm a a nerd at heart. It It is so promising to see all the just really innovative medicines that are coming in the pike. So, you know, my hat's off to, to all of our customers and everything that you're doing to keep us health, healthy and make us healthier. Uh, it's a, it's a, that's a great place to it's kind of almost draws to an end. And I just, final question was, have you got any other comments or requests for, for the audience or anything, any other final pieces of advice? No, I mean, my final comment would be, guys, if you're out there and you're struggling with any of your um, drug programs, whether it be development or clinical trial, commercial manufacturing, reach out to us. I I think um, hopefully the authenticity of uh, myself is a reflection of the authenticity of the team. And, and Ramon, I don't know if you can speak on that, on on getting to work with us, but I, I would say one of the things that's really great about the team is how intellectually generous we are and how much we just really enjoy working with our partners. So I would say if there's interest, if you're tackling one of these complex areas, reach out. We'd love to, we'd love to talk to you. And if it's not a fit, it's also just great to meet everyone out in the industry. Yeah. And, and I mean, I can absolutely uh, validate what you said there. And I've had the pleasure of obviously working with yourself, Barbara, but the rest of your team and, you know, what a fantastic bunch they all are not just in terms of how incredibly smart they are but they are also just a, a really likable <laughs> bunch of people I love it's unfortunate it's unfortunate at the minute obviously because we're all stuck at home but uh it's fun kind of going on to the this the trade stand at various shows and talking to your team because they're always full of full of beans and energy and, and great fun to be around so well Bob's thanks so much for taking Thank the time you. and, and being a guest on Molecule to Market and uh, yeah, stay safe and, and take care. Hi again, thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter and we will see you again next week.
Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.